Hello everyone, welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. Happy New Year, happy end of the decade. Yeah, feels really strange. I'm your host, the Dr. Mum Man Duncan Joyce. I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H Mark in show business, Mr. Cal Cambry. Hello, it's great to be back on the show. It is, it's lovely to be back. It's been a while. I know, <laughs> we'll do what we traditionally do then when it's been a while. What's your favourite thing to happen in wrestling since we've been away and favourite thing to happen in life in general? In wrestling, I'm really, really stuck up in the whirlwind of The Fiend. I'm really enjoying all that sort of stuff. I'm very much a, a yowie wowie kind of guy. I think it's really good what they're doing. I just hope that they do protect the character and 2020 doesn't see the the kind of destruction of that character. Mm. I think there's still lots of things that they can do with him and build it up. But yeah, I think since the last time we recorded, that's definitely, that's definitely my big plus. As for life in general, I've got myself a new job. I'm still at the college. I'm a learning development mentor. So instead of just looking after, say, 15 to 20 kids, I've got like 100 kids to look after over different areas of the college. Attendance, behaviour, all that sort of stuff. Oh, amazing. So I've been doing that since beginning of November. It's good. Sweet. This is our first podcast at Casa de Cambrai as well. Yes, it is. Yeah, new surroundings. Yeah. Getting used to it still. Still feels weird getting when you finish work and it's... Turn left to parents' house, turn right to my house, and you're like, oh, I'm turning right, okay, about good. <laughs> but yeah, I'm enjoying it. Finally, sort of settled in now. Christmas was a bit of a whirlwind. Both parents around for Christmas Day. They said it went well at the time. I don't know whether it was, it was very stressful, but yeah, it's going good. Fab, yeah, I also did, well, I say I, it was mostly Kathy. We yeah. did Christmas <laughs> dinner for mum as well. Bro. It's very nice. Yeah, life in general, I also got a new job. I'm an apprentice software developer now. Fantastic. Really nice learning environment to be in, really. I'm learning a whole lot of things. Good. It's really cool. And uh, in wrestling, the Wednesday Night Wars. Yes. I'm tremendously enjoying. I really appreciate the stuff that's brought out in NXT. Yeah. And generally, AEW Dynamite is... Pretty nice wrestling show. I get some good stuff to watch out of that. It's getting a little bit exhausting now because, like, I'm about three or four weeks behind, and things only stay up on ITV Player a month. So it's yeah. like, well, if, I, if we're going to watch wrestling, I'm going to have to watch <laughs> Dynamite now, otherwise it's going to fuck off yeah. the on demand, you know. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not catching up with NXT quite as much as I want. But when I was like in the zone like being able to check both out at the same time it's just tons of great wrestling more wrestling than I've watched in months and months I quite enjoy the Wednesday Night Wars I enjoy watching Dynamite I just I have to get past the WCW feel of it it's no fault of their own it's pretty much the same setup really but like the entrances the way everything works just very WCW like but you know, other than that, the, the in-ring stuff, the, the storylines at the moment are great, you know, really good. I like how they push the boat out a little bit. I know some fans weren't happy with, like, the Omega-Ambrose match, where they kind of felt they went a little too far with it. But, you know, you don't really have those sort of matches in mainstream that a lot of people can watch, so you sort of bring in other avenues. Mm. It's good. Yeah. 
I've also had the chance to enjoy lots of great wrestling in preparation for this show. Yeah. Seeing as how it's the end of year, sometimes we do a year end episode, but this year has been so <laughs> scrappy. There's been so much stop start stuff, I can't really pick anything Summed out. Summed up with my message to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't have anything for this year. <laughs> well, so I figured it's not just. 2019 that's coming to an end it's the entire decade that's coming to an end and our friends at Josh and Stu podcast are doing a little best of the decade tournament playing matches off against each other and I'm one of the judges Ah. some of my favourites got kind of screwed over so I guess this is my kind of answer (laughs) to it so we're going to take a look at some of our favourite matches to have taken place in WWE NXT just whatever under the WWE umbrella has happened over the past 10 years that we've really enjoyed. Yeah. I think it was either the UK home video Twitter account or the WWE on Fox Twitter account. WWE on Fox. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, asked you to name a match for every year in a decade that was your favourite. I did a big Twitter thread on that. I'm going to use this episode to go into detail on some of my choices there. And I've asked Kyle to do the same. So for every year of the decade, we've picked our favourite matches. In some places, we're in agreement. So I think there's 16 matches in total. Nice to have some good wrestling to watch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was nice to to look back on on a few of the matches. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch them all. So my memory will have to keep me going with some of the matches, but I got through quite a few of them. Yeah, looking forward to it. So let's kick things off right at the start, the very distant past of 2010. It seems like forever away. Ah, it's eons ago. Yeah. A totally different world. Wow. I was still at university. Yeah, same, yeah. (laughs) Well, nothing highlights the change that we've had over this current decade Quite like our first match on this list here. Two of our favourites are still active wrestlers and killing it with classics every other month. We're going back to WrestleMania 26. Both of us agreed this is our favourite match of 2010. The career versus streak no disqualification match between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. What is there really left to say about this match? For me and obviously for you, there's no other match that even comes close to being like a oh that's a close second you know that's it, it's just it's own match it's got it's own level to think that A the age that they're at you know during this match B the sort of storyline that they were going through they rose above the rest with everything during that like rumble to mania run just incredible the build was just absolutely fantastic and it's one of my favourite video packages they ever did Yeah, really it annoys me on the network that they don't have the placebo song yeah, yeah. on there because ah, that was just such a good fit yeah. for that feud John, you're obsessed with this super kicking referees Fines. You're lucky you weren't suspended. You're lucky you're here at all. You're spiraling down, man. It's not the end of the world. There are plenty of other guys for you to compete with at WrestleMania. Not for me. You don't wanna. 
like the chase of Michaels having this desperation getting his rematch this is kind of a last hurrah for the work rate Undertaker as well yeah, like yeah, yeah. He, he never looked this good ever again no I got to cover this with Lee on our Impact versus Raw timeline it's such a pleasure it subverts your expectations on what you think could happen in a match yeah the way they worked it Sean's desperation really came over you got a growing sense of Undertaker's frustrations as Sean wouldn't stay down. And the drama was just kept at a really, really high standard. The closing stretch was just absolutely hellacious. And then the finish, the jumping tombstone. Yeah. Excellent. Even when you had, like, there's some things that potentially in different circumstances could be interpreted as flubs. It actually still added to the match. Yeah. Shawn Michaels did the moonsault through the table and he aimed it at The Undertaker's leg yeah. but he was working over the whole match and, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I guess his aim was a little off there but then when you consider that he's yeah. been attacking Undertaker's leg all throughout, it felt like it really, really added to the story. The other thing that I've spotted, Shawn Michaels gets so much air and hang time when yeah, he's selling yeah. for The Undertaker yeah. like the last ride especially he felt like he's like really really high up in the air <laughs> yeah. for a really really long yeah. time all four of those that run of matches you know Taker and Sean Taker and Trips for me if you ignored the wrestling the stories were on point you could see where everything fit in story wise that's what takes it to the next level of you know us being able to see during this match what Sean wanted to do, mm-hmm. the frustrations of Taker. Right at the very end, the all or nothing from Taker with the jumping tombstone. Like It was the storyline throughout that made the match, not necessarily the match itself. We've got a couple more Undertaker streak matches coming up. But if you listen to us at home here and you ever want to go check out these matches for yourself, keep your ear out whenever Undertaker's on the outside. In this show, he turns up and he turns up in the next two matches that we'll cover from this period. There's someone, whenever the Undertaker's walking around outside, some guy in the front row is like, Guillotine leg drop! Do a guillotine leg drop! <laughs> He shows up every year at WrestleMania. (laughs) This was a a fantastic send-off. One final hurrah from 
probably the wrestler of the previous decade in Shawn Michaels. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Terrific way to end your career until someone puts some blood money under your nose. Yeah. In keeping with this theme, in 2011, Kyle, your choice was Triple H versus The Undertaker, No Holds Barred at WrestleMania 27. Talk us through what stands out in this match for you. Obviously, Triple H jumped in the vacancy that was left by by Sean and felt, you know, I want to get a bit of redemption for Sean. I'd like to go at Taker. So your storyline was already there. And then, like I've said with the others previously, the stories that you that are told in that, Triple H and Taker have fought many, 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 many times before this match. However, for me, this and the following year are matched by their best matches. And just how, I don't know the word, uh, hellacious I'll use the, the same as what, what you said, the no holds barred, you know, they literally wanted to beat the living hell out of each other to get the win over each other. And you can tell that it affected each other going into like that run that year. When you're put on that sort of match that you've got to sort of run from the show matches into that match, you've got to make sure that you're five out of five because you're not starting a new storyline, essentially. You're continuing a, a storyline. So for me, the fact that we could call this episode three of you know this this run and it's still being as good as Sean and Taker meant a lot. I think that this was probably the the last match for me that you kind of saw Taker do a few of his his high flying stuff. Because mm. I know from matches after that he would rarely go up and you know trust himself with that sort of stuff. So I think they left a lot of stuff in the ring. And it kind of showed at the end of the match as well where you needed help to get up. And in Austin's podcast that they did on the network, he said that that really pissed him off. That he, he couldn't get up himself. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, where is this the end for me? Or, you know, can I continue? So it just shows, you know, how much they, they put in the ring. Yeah, that was a big plot point for the future as well. The Undertaker, he wins right at the very death with the desperation hell's gate and even though the streak survives he can't leave via his own ability you sit there and you question who really came out the winner of that yeah and that would play into things in the future this is essential viewing in terms of where it fits into this wider story that we've described for certain i think this was in terms of match quality the, the one i have the, the most trouble with I think they went outside a little bit too early. Yeah. It yeah, felt yeah. like they like just fast forwarded to eight to ten minutes into a much longer match. Yeah. But you know, there's still like some really, really flashes of brilliance here that maybe if they'd have done this three or four years ago when we still had work rate taker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, you know, they have the last ride and it was countered and then Triple H tried the pedigree but it was countered to the snake eyes and then Triple H hit a spine buster immediately that kind of stuff was just I'd have loved more of that and earlier on in the match yeah, yeah. rather than the straight brawl into the outside one thing that takes away from the presentation here again the too cheap to keep the music rights yeah 
Triple H didn't have For Whom the Bell Tolls mm. like he did on the night, and The Undertaker didn't come out to Ain't No Grave. This is still, like, like we were saying, essential viewing from a storytelling point of view and where it fits into all of these other really era-defining matches. Yeah. And the other thing about that that was cool in the build, the wordless challenge yeah, yeah. that they made to each other. Yeah. That's that's become a big Triple H trope now. Yeah. Again, like with the, the previous match, WrestleMania is always stacked with these marquee matches. If your match can still be above all of them, then you've done well. For four years, Taker was at the top. That's just incredible. Mm. The other thing I will say this match has going for it, it's it's very hard to buy into the fact that The Undertaker could lose in some of these matches. But when Triple H hit the tombstone yeah. near the very end, the cheeky fucker, like, <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah. However, there's moments in the next one that we'll, we'll cover where there's similar, similar moments. Mm, yeah, for sure. Speaking of moments, one of the defining moments of the decade was, of course, the CM Punk pipe bomb. Yeah. I didn't just get in trouble because I said this company inside and outside the ring are filled with a parade of shameless ass kissers. I didn't just get in trouble because of this little nugget. And I would like, like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, dead, dead. I got in trouble basically because I have the balls to say things that nobody else has the balls to say. And that led into my choice of the match of 2011, which is John Cena versus CM Punk for the WWE title at Money in the Bank 2011. What a fantastic white hot atmosphere. Like this is the reason that everyone goes to Chicago over and over yeah. and over again. I've certainly had my issues with AEW maybe they're trying to go to the well once too often, yeah. going to Chicago and running it dry, but th- this kind of match, if you this is what you hold up as an example of. Yeah. This is so much of what you could hope for out of a wrestling crowd. Yeah, yeah. The build to this match is fantastic and it really adds to it. It brought lots of intrigue and for me it had the right balance of kayfabe and real life issues. It's one of those healthy slash unhealthy mixes of actually what is real and what's not because I'm sort of confused. My lines are blurred here. This is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Punk announced my contract's running up after Money in the Bank and I'm leaving, I just thought, well, okay, he's he's just challenger of the month for Cena before he goes away. You know, yeah. Nice little final payday for Punk and then John Cena can move on to even bigger things at SummerSlam or whatever. And then he dropped his truths that time in yeah. Vegas in his little Stone Cold shirt and everything changed. Yeah. This is also the debut of that iconic Chicago parody shirt oh, in the yeah. black and white yeah, with yeah. the fist. I had to make do with... It's the one with the fists holding the broken arrows and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got that at the house show I won, to, I won tickets to. Yeah. He got an incredible ovation coming out, naturally. 
I suppose in this decade we're kind of used to John Cena getting negative reactions. Yeah. But in this match, it was off the chart. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> but in, in typical Cena, he obviously ignores that and plays into it of, you know, Wow. <laughs> mm. I, I love how Punk, Punk would play into it as well. Yeah. But there was a You Can't Wrestle chant going on, and it, he was like, What, me? And the crowd was like, No! <laughs> oh, him! Yeah! Okay. <laughs> they were feeling each other out without making you feel like you were in for a long match. Yeah. This is obviously going to be a prominent and long match, but it doesn't really feel that way from the build and the pace and yeah, the, yeah. the way they they work with each other whenever anything that wasn't precisely executed was hit they just really briskly moved on and it, yeah. you, you know this isn't a perfect technical match but no it's a perfect match in terms of flow and feeding off the people yeah. and the storyline involved well I think the last year and a half well two years and a half of Punk he was wrestling the best his final run mm. was definitely the best punk that we we had. Yeah, we'll see more of that later. And John Cena as well, not just answering his critics like you said, Kyle, but also just trying to raise his game for yeah. the sake of punk, pulling out crazy things like Bam Bam Bigelow's old finisher <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> gut wrench suplexes. Yeah. Punk always had an answer for the five moves of doom in this match. And Cena also found some innovative counters. It would always take them like two or three goals to get their trademark offense in. Yeah. And then you get to the finish where Goody Two Shoes John Cena clocks John Laurinaitis before the screw job could yeah. happen and then immediately pays for it with the GTS and Punk wins. And we then get the iconic shot of him going over the crowd, blowing Vince a kiss. Yeah. Saying, Toodaloo. Unbelievable. Mm. One of the defining images of this decade. Again, that's one of those fine lines of the kiss to Vince of, you know, I'm I'm off, see you later, of was that the original plan that Vince obviously wanted or was the pipe bomb what changed his mind? When stuff happens and they obviously change the storyline to whatever fits, you know, that meteoric rise of the pipe bomb Maybe Vince thought, you know what, we can play this to our hands. Because you, you just wonder if he's pissed Vince off so much, would he give Punk that win? You started seeing this more and more often after this. Yeah. Like, someone's near the end, are they going to sign, are they going to not? Usually it's just like, well, okay, we'll prep you for leaving just in case you don't sign. And you know you, you leave out on your back like it's tradition and stuff. Yeah. But this was the point where you kind of saw more. Okay, I'm gonna give you this little nugget here. This is what you could be in for if you stay on past this point. Yeah. That's what this storyline really felt like. So, yeah. You know, we still got some stuff we can sink your teeth into here. Yeah. I'd have loved in the follow up if instead of Punk having to come back. Like within three weeks, I'd have loved him to have stayed outside of the bubble a little bit. They could have had WWE Championship matches in other promotions. Yeah, I thought. Cool. Yeah, I'd have loved that. Like, imagine if they'd have let Ring of Honor had a 
WWE title match with Punk yeah. headline one of their shows. They could have raided the fuck out of Ring of Honor years before they got yeah. all the people for NXT. Well, I suppose that, that idea there, you're more likely to see it now with how WWE are, are moving into these different territories. But yeah, I, I do agree that would have been really fun to see. Moving on to 2012, a pretty interesting year. Of course, the big rise of CM Punk. And it's also notable for being the debut of one of the most influential factions in wrestling history, The Shield. Mm. And the match I want to highlight from this year is their debut match. It's their TLC match at TLC 2012. Taking on Team Hell No and Ride Back. I went back and watched this and my immediate thought was, oh my god, the Shield all looks so young. <laughs> Especially Roman as yeah. well. Yeah, he doesn't look as built. He very much looks like just a taller Seth Rollins. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think his, his facial care routine is definitely <laughs> dipped off as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His cheeks were lovely and smooth and stuff. Like, Welcome to the Shield of Justice Show. <laughs> And now he's just like <laughs> beardy and grizzled. And yeah, some sort of homeless bodyguard. <laughs> this was the first time we had a TLC match that could end in pin or submission. Yeah, very odd. Mm. Again, another one of those, like you're saying about maybe the pipe bomb, another one of those last minute decisions that yeah. had to change things because Punk was injured and couldn't defend his title against Ryback. So. This happened, and I think we were much better off for having this match than that one. Yeah. Possibly the best debut of the decade. What I think this match was really, really successful at was it got over the individual character traits of The Shield. Ambrose was established as this Piper slash Terry Funk kind of sadist. Roman was the big bruiser and the fixer who sort things out like he'd often be the guy interrupting falls and then you have Rollins he's this opportunistic daredevil and it wasn't just the individual traits that you got a sense of you got a sense of what Michael Cole called the pack mentality yeah they were just really really terrific in like their chemistry that really got established yeah the way they'd work together the way they'd kind of create this numbers advantage for themselves, even though it's a three-on-three match. Yeah. They always find a way of getting a man advantage somehow. Again, another really, really great atmosphere. The crowd went into everybody, even though you got some Goldberg chance towards Ryback. Yeah. I was never fully on board with Ryback. I don't know whether it was because in NXT, he used to have a cowboy hat. (laughs) But I could just... I, I just never could... Fully get on board. Yep, yep, yep. What yeah. do you do, Carl? Yeah. <laughs> Just could not get on board. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so a lot of people had a few reservations with him. And yeah. the, the way he kind of flamed out, maybe. You look at someone like Braun now, for instance, yeah. and he seems to relish and enjoy any kind of shit that they give him. His hips do not lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He listens to Vince and goes, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. yeah, I'll do that. Which can be a negative at times, but it's mostly positive. 
They struck a really good balance here. The Shield took an absolute beating, but they still felt like the equals of their opponents. Yeah. And that's really hard to do. So there was a stretch where Ryback, he simultaneously suplexed Dean and Seth onto a ladder, mm. and then Dean and Seth would double suplex Brian off a table, off the top rope. Then right after that, there was an awesome spot where Kane did his leaping clothesline oh, jumping yeah. off the yeah, table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. It was, like, <laughs> it was like someone flicked him with an elastic band or something. <laughs> the amount of air he got. <laughs> Brian was great in this match. One of my sort of candidates for wrestler of the decade. He was absolutely awesome. Never say die, babyface. Yeah. Something about his performance here. I wanted to go back and watch Invasion again to oh, see yeah. Kurt Angle in the inaugural brawl. Like yeah. that's immediately what he put in me in mind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just absolute technical nipper. Just not giving up and quitting on you. It's like, no, yeah. oh, let's go do this. I'm three on one down, but fuck it. Yeah. Ryback also had a good flourish in this match, but as I was saying, the Shield always seemed to keep an edge on the numbers. Yeah. They always had someone to break up a fall. And then in the end, Ryback wasn't able to break up the final fall and the shield won with the super bomb yeah. through the table I think the shield's debut even before this match like I liked how it was done I thought it was different and then like you say you've got these three guys who aren't similar at all who on their own are very strong but together are just this uncontrollable unit that just do wonderful things and in that match, we, we saw that. And like you say, the pack mentality. Right, we've got one down. We've all got them down. And it's nice to see. Like, their finishing move, all three have to be involved in their move. Again, just shows that we're a team. We do everything together. Their entrance to the crowd, all that sort of stuff just ticks so many boxes. It just, it works. It's pretty infamous. I can't remember which way round it is, but apparently someone pitched either pitch this to CM Punk or CM Punk suggested, oh, hey, why don't you put a bunch of FCW guys together and do this? Yeah. And Punk wanted Cassius Ono to be the third man instead of Roman. Yes, I heard about that, yeah. And this works much better with Roman as opposed to Cassius. I think that's... I don't want to use this phrase necessarily, but that's his inner smart working against him. Yeah. Like, thinking that that would be a better idea. I think with Roman, it put a much bigger contrast in. And yeah, yeah. It, it changed up the chemistry pretty nicely. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Mm-hmm. You probably could have guessed from earlier in the show, but Kyle's choice for 2012 was the end of an era match until the Australia marketing board come along <laughs> and say they want the match. It's from WrestleMania 28 in the Hell in a Cell, Triple H versus The Undertaker with Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee. This is by far my favourite match of the four. The fact that it's in Hell in a Cell, the fact that it was absolutely brutal, and again, overall, the story that they told. You can strip back the wrestling. The wrestling was your usual wrestling match that you would you would see. But the fact that Sean was added into the mix and all the emotions that was going through Sean... Triple H couldn't put Taker down, so Triple H then goes to hit him full square in the head with a sledgehammer. Sean takes it off Triple H. 
I kind of want you to win, but you can't cave his head in. I, I respect this guy. Yeah. Sean goes to see how Taker is. Taker in beast mode mentality puts him in the Hell's Gate. And just the, the whole storyline just sucks you in. And then Triple H is telling Sean to ring the bell. He can't ring the bell. And then he tells him, right, well, you finish him. And then we get the switching music and, and you're just like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. One hell of a match. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, that's my equivalent of the tombstone spot from a previous match. Yeah. Sean's accidental switching music and then he went into the pedigree. Yeah. It's like, what well, he meant to do it, but he didn't mean for that to happen yeah. afterwards. <laughs> and then you're like, oh shit, is this the end? That also reminds me of the Sean and Flair that I'm sorry, switching music. Corey Graves said it best in the, the podcast. You can forget all the wrestling, but the Flair and Shawn Michaels match, what do you remember? I'm sorry, remember switching what? music. Yeah. Yeah? The Triple H, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels match, absolutely hellacious match, incredible match, what do you remember? All up on the stage, hugging the three of them. It's the storyline that is above the wrestling with these sort of matches. Mm. That's the first thing that springs to mind in this match for me as yeah. well. It's just a masterclass in storytelling. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, it's possibly not all that more notable in the ring than some of their previous matches, although I think it was in general much superior to the previous years. Yeah. But the way they tie it in with the story that's going on, you know, Taker had his full hawk because he was shaving his yeah, hair because yeah. he was all pissed off at Triple H was making out like he finished him off and he didn't. Shawn Michaels' existential crisis yeah. that we got, that I was worried that we weren't going to get because he was so cheery coming out of his yeah. like, ah, ripping it down the cell. I'm just a sexy boy. <laughs> A little stat that I picked up from Michael Cole, Triple H, up to this point, had never lost a match with Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee. Ah. So that was tying in there. Oh, and the Hell in the Cell got his own entry. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking fade, me rhyming, something name and the memory Yeah, because Michael says something like, you all thought we'd had all the entrances, but there's one more entrance. Oh yeah, do a guillotine leg drop guy was yeah. back again. <laughs> I think this is the only match taker actually hit the guillotine leg drop as well. Mm. Yeah, another sign that the story was really working here. The crowd I thought were noticeably more pro Undertaker yeah. in this match compared to last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You had them playing into stuff from previous years like the repeated chair shots is Taker gonna be unable to compete Taker was pretty spry in this match because he just had hip surgery but I think those chair shots re-injured his hip yeah they they were pretty grim that's one thing that interested me about this referee stoppage was a very prominent part of the story <laughs> yeah. and you fast forward to this year when you had The Fiend and Seth yeah. and that actually ended in referee stoppage and people like oh fucking bullshit <laughs> oh. we've spoke about this quite a lot haven't we of the, the bending of the rules mm. I suppose if it falls into storyline <laughs> Sean because he's not a professional referee 
his three counts felt really, really close. Yeah. Like, he only just, like, he hit three right after someone kicks out and, like, no, no, no! <laughs> yeah. They really beat the piss out of each other. That was the only, like, low point of the, the match. Early on, they were trying to open Triple H up hard way, yeah. and it became a bit too obvious what they were trying to do. Yeah. And it's like, move on, lads, just beat yourselves up normally now. And it was very much off centre as well. It's like, you know, the side of his face instead of central where they normally try and do it. The roles were reversed here. Triple H was too exhausted to survive this time around and got finished with the sledgehammer and the tombstone. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favourite storytelling matches definite must watch but I was really high on 2012 and that Wrestlemania and that match were yeah. a, a big reason for that 2013 kind of a sleeper hit year for John Cena really yeah he was riding on a a mix of crowd emotions we've got two matches of his that we've highlighted here against two indie darlings if you will who also had terrific 2013s mm. So Kyle, your pick, just when you thought you got away from Triple H, <laughs> he's a special referee in this match for the WWE Championship at SummerSlam 2013. John Cena defending against Daniel Bryan. And I'm sorry, the fucking state of Triple H's referee outfit here. He couldn't even find a referee shirt with the WWE logo. No, on. I know. And his pants that were like really, really... Scrunchy at the top <laughs> and his boots and oh god, Brian was seen as handpicked opponent for this match and the McMahons were vehemently against Brian being champion so they were all pissed off. Yeah, Triple H is refereeing so that Brad Maddox would keep his nose out. Cena had a massive elbow injury going into this match. Yeah, you can see sometimes like the angle of his elbow. You can see where his little contusion was. Like bloody hell, how are you coping with that? He's just a machine though, isn't he? Most of his injuries did say, right, you've got a year off. He's back in like three months. Yeah. And just like, how is this man doing this? I know, yeah, he'd be back at Hell in a Cell <laughs> yeah. two months later. It's just like, what the hell? <laughs> what made this match stand out for you, Kyle? Again, storyline-wise, Cena and Brian are completely polar opposites wrestling styles. I've never really been a huge fan of the technical style of Brian Angle, that sort of stuff. Not saying I, I, I dislike it, but if I was given styles of what for me to watch, then the technical one wouldn't be my first choice. But I feel like this, this match, because of his opponent, and we've said this numerous times, depending on your opponent, you just up your game a little bit. And I felt that Brian was a good counterpart for Cena and the match that they had, they delved into each other's moveset. I don't know, it's hard to explain. So how Daniel Bryan would normally do his hip toss, which would be like his, his quick f- flip tosses against the likes of when he's fighting Cena and his bigger opponents, it's more of a power hip toss. Mm-hmm. So you sort of saw these upgraded moves, if you will. Everything's always quick with Daniel Bryan. So it's this move, that move, the other move. So he'd still do that, but it's he would put more emphasis on the move because of the bigger opponent. But then again with Cena, 
you felt that Cena's moveset, especially when he's setting up his finishes or he's doing the five moves of Doom and all that sort of stuff, that he was careful with who he was against because he knew that Daniel Bryan would be able to reverse his moves more than another opponent. So it's that, that cautiousness of, right, I've got a little bit of a whippet here. Where am I going with my moves? To Daniel Bryan's, he's much bigger than me. I can still do my moveset, however, I need to make more emphasis on my moveset. And I felt that that really showcased in this match. And then the fact that Daniel Bryan was able to pin Cena clean, which shocked me having Triple H in the match, was, again, a highlight for Daniel Bryan and a push forward for Daniel Bryan. We all know what happened next. But we can focus on on the match, and that's why it's definitely a highlight for me, because... Cena and Daniel Bryan matches aren't necessarily the ones that I would go and watch. However, when they fought against each other, I was like, wow, you know, this this is a good match. I felt the same way, the way they worked with each other. It felt like Cena was looking to raise his game to match Bryan in yeah. terms of a work rate type deal. Like, he'd bust out some really different stuff than normal, like doing... The Batista bomb, basically. Yeah, yeah. Brian felt like he was trying to step up to Cena's style of storytelling. Yeah. And it felt like they were both meshing well with each other out of admiration Mm. and trying to meet in a middle that was like the most compelling mix of their two styles. Yeah. There was some unbelievable stuff in this match. Daniel Bryan blocked an avalanche attitude adjustment yep. and then went for a Frankensteiner and then Cena turned it into the STF. To another one of your points, Kyle, Triple H, other than his shy outfit, was really inoffensive and you didn't really notice him as the ref yeah, for the majority of this match. Yeah, it's one of those things of like, you have a wrestler as a referee, you're expecting something shenanigans yeah and mm. especially being triple h mm. you're expecting something it was a a nice surprise you know that we focused on cena and brian and not something that happened with triple h he would just wait until after the bell mm. yeah exactly all the shenanigans <laughs> yeah. post-match yeah but <laughs> as a whole the match we hardly knew he was there yeah and to your other point on the clean win that not only established Daniel Bryan as a top-line guy, it established his knee finisher as a made move. It was, you know, he, he was a made man. He had a made pinfall finisher other than his submission. Yeah. This was just captivating. My favourite kind of Siles clash. Yeah, yeah. They're just constantly pulling different things out of each other. Another favourite Styles clash of mine... Also from 2013, also featuring John Cena going against an indie darling, yeah. CM Punk versus John Cena from, I believe it's the 25th of February, Monday Night Raw, and the winner would face The Rock at WrestleMania for the WWE title. Like I was saying, this is a fantastic year for CM Punk. Mm. He got a better match out of The Rock in his comeback than anybody else did. Yeah. He had this classic with Cena. He'd go on and have a classic with The Undertaker at WrestleMania. He had a killer match with Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. 
it's just a shame like the latter half of the year he's he just seemed to lose his passion and, yeah. and the politics just kind of got to him but this Punk and Cena match is something that I want to highlight in detail because I think it's their best match together and given Punk's somewhat complicated political history if you will yeah. it's something that fans might not necessarily be aware of or get co- talked about quite so strongly something just that highlights the amount of equity that got put into Punk here. Cole mentions that only five men had held the WWE Championship for longer than CM Punk in the near 50-year history of the WWE. Mm. Well, he held that WWE title for quite some stretch. He did. This is one of those rare occasions where Cena was more over than CM Punk and it really made the match better for it. Because yeah. whereas you get the traditional let's go Cena, Cena sucks chance, instead we got let's go Cena, CM Punk chance. Even though there are pockets of smart people in the audience, John Cena was the guy. <laughs> yeah, which considering around this time and further ahead, that, that definitely changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Cena comes out of nowhere with a leapfrog and hip toss and then got on a roll after a commercial break but then one sidestep from Punk allowed him to target Cena's neck and then Punk does a leapfrog and hits a leg larry on Cena and regains control. He ducks the second shoulder block in the five moves of Doom and Cena gets sent flying to the outside. Again, he's still got the five moves of Doom well scouted. Still, they know each other so well that their trademark stuff takes extra time to get into place. Oh my God, we got a clip of Punk DDTing to counter the attitude adjustment. And that was... Exclusive to the WWE app during the commercial break. <laughs> oh, those are the days. Yeah. Wow. Punk turned the protobomb into the Anaconda Vice and Cena had to cradle out. And when Punk tried his second springboard clothesline in a row, Cena catches him in the SCF and then they trade submissions through that. It's really exciting. Punk countered Cena's GTS counter... After Punk had countered the five-knuckle shuffle yeah. and, and John Cena hit a huge sit-down powerbomb after neither men could hit the actual finishes. The crowd lost their shit over Cena fighting to hit his avalanche fame-asser, his leg drop from the top, yeah. and then Punk kicking out. At one point, Punk kicks out of the attitude adjustment and Cole says, We may go all night, folks! <laughs> and it really felt like they could... Cena then kicks out of the GTS and a second gets countered with the STF and the crowd is in an absolute frenzy. And then the biggest shock of this match, out in Dallas, Texas, CM Punk pulls out a big old Texas Terry (laughs) Funk pile driver. And the awe in the crowd, you can just hear it. It's like, how the fuck did that happen? Yeah. And then Cena pulls out a surprise himself with a fucking hurricane run. And that then the attitude adjustment to win. Unbelievable. The hurricane was viral for a very long time. Because <laughs> how in the hell? <laughs> that match is one of those matches that 
shouldn't have been on Raw. It's not often you get a match of that standard on TV. Well, I say TV, like Raw Smackdown. So it's always nice when we do get something like that. But that definitely deserved to be a pay-per-view match. Yeah, they, they wrestled as such. Yeah, incredible. Really, really, really good. Like you said, you know, the, the move sets that they have, pulling out these different moves, they definitely had the crowd on board. And it was one of those turning points of the direction that these two would go. Cena obviously on with The Rock, Punk on with Taker. And they just left it all in the ring. It was a really good match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On to 2014. My choice is from the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. It's the Wyatt family against The Shield. Mm. This was kind of like a passing of the torch match. This was like hinted for a long time, wasn't it? And it was mm, like, yeah. is this going to happen? Is it going to happen? And then we finally get it. Yeah, this is kind of... The Shield setting up the Wyatt family as the new heel faction. It was a big turning point for their team dynamic as well. Roman was gaining much more prominence. He just had his record-breaking Royal Rumble run. Cole, at some point, pipes up with, oh, some consider him the leader of the Shield. The whole gimmick of the Shield is there's no leader. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we know what Cole's like, and he's, he's... Daft comments. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this was also the match where you got that infamous this is awesome chant before anybody even touched each other, yeah. before the Whites even got in the ring. Yeah. Seth Rollins landing on his feet from a super German suplex attempt, then diving onto Harper, and then eating a massive boss man slam from Harper. That was the real first big uptick in the atmosphere for this match. Yeah. There's a moment when Rollins bumped really, really huge for Bray Wyatt's Uranagi, and then immediately after, Ambrose bumped massively for Harper's big boot. This is really the shield going out of their way to put the Wyatts over. Yeah. Another big spotlight match for Harper and Rowan in particular, they'd had their Survivor Series match with Punk and Bryan, and then this, and then they'd go on to have a classic rivalry with the Usos. Yeah. Because Bray was... Obviously positioned as the star of the team, but I loved matches like this that showed that Harper and Rowan were more than just heavies. They could contribute themselves. Yeah, definitely. Another frenzied moment was when Luke Harper and Seth Rollins did consecutive dives to the outside. Like, you wouldn't expect that from Luke Harper. No, no. Ambrose got lost in the crowd after a fracas with Bray, (laughs) and so for once, it was the Shield at a disadvantage with the numbers. And that's what finished them off. It was Roman's turn to fight from underneath, three versus one. And he took out Harper with the spear, but then Bray was left free to hit the sister Abigail and win. Just an all-round class match. Yeah, really, really good. The big send-off of the pay-per-view era, because next month you'd have the WWE Network. Nine ninety nine, dollars <laughs> Well, who could ever forget that? I mean, mm. they rarely ever told us. So, for us to remember that that was the price. How much did it cost again? Ah, it's a dark totally missed that. <laughs> I really enjoyed that that match. And like you say, it was a really good turning point of Pastures New for the Shield, the Wyatt family, and now the big heels in town. Another big turning point that happened in 2014... 
with the advent of the WWE Network, we saw NXT become a really prominent brand. Mm. And this is something you wanted to highlight here, Kyle, with your choice for the year. From NXT TakeOver R Evolution, I'm so glad they dropped those names. It's the NXT Championship <laughs> match, which sees Adrian Neville, the champion, who looks so young. Yeah, very, very young, with his <laughs> little Great Britain trunks on. <laughs> <laughs> He's defending against Sami Zayn, who's put his career on the line in this match because yeah. he was so tired of being the nearly guy and he wanted to dispel this choke artist reputation. Yeah. But Neville was kind of needling him mm. over. It was the, the good Sami Zayn compared to what form of Sami Zayn we have at the moment. I was going to say, I really, really miss big baby face Sami Zayn. Well, I miss Sami Zayn wrestling, if I'm totally honest. Mm. <laughs> you know, he's just a, a mouthpiece at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, he's just a fantastic baby face and... It felt like there was way more money on the table with him in that role, and yeah. they kind of butchered it, really. Yeah, this match was my first holy shit moment for NXT. What is this? And this is incredible. You know, I stopped watching NXT when it was the format of the Nexus coming through, and then NXT restarted at full sale, and I kind of dipped in every now and again this was the first NXT pay-per-view that I watched and watching this match I was like why have I not watched anything else the energy that Neville and Sammy had their move sets the reversals that they did the impact of each move there's a, a part in the match where Neville reverses one of Sami Zayn's moves but then he runs into a flying kick but the, the kick is so loud off Neville's cheek that you're just like, what the hell? Neville's outside of the ring. Sami Zayn flips out of the ring on, onto Neville. This arena is so small that you get that wrong and, you know, you killed an audience member. It's like <laughs> they, they just got everything on point in that match. And you could tell the do-or-die attitude of, of Sami Zayn. And then right near the end, the storytelling that was saying you know each good match needs a good story Neville gets hold of the belt and Sammy clocks him and then he picks up the belt and the ref's down and he's like do I hit him with the belt do I not hit him with the belt and he's you know deliberating so much mm-hmm. that then Neville rolls him up he kicks out and then Sammy gets the win straight after but it's that do I become a heel you know to, to get the win because I want to save my career and then obviously we we get the whole NXT crew out. Weird seeing Enzo. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> very weird. And Charlotte Flair in a very old outfit. Mm. That was really odd. But yeah, just just the whole match and the atmosphere. And then they all come out and they pick up Sami Zayn. And, and it was like these guys and girls are together. They're, they're a, like a unit, if you will. And then we get the final moment of... Neville then getting up, you know, embracing Sami Zayn of like passing the torch sort of thing, because Neville will then obviously move up to Raw and feud with Cody Rhodes and Stephen Amell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the biggest twist of that match is obviously his best mate comes out and celebrates, everyone else disappears, and then he nearly breaks his back on the side of the <laughs> ring. Yeah. And I, you know, considering this is my first like 
venture into NXT. I'm like, shit, what's going on? What the hell? Kevin Steen, what are you doing, man? <laughs> it's like I was saying about the Sean Undertaker match. Subverting your expectations is yeah. just... A, it's, a, it's a masterwork. Yeah. The big celebration had finished. The graphic had come up on the screen. Oh, he's safe, he's safe. Kevin Owens then butchers yeah. him and power bombs him into the apron. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? There's a guy that's just on the corner bit with a Santa hat on. And when Kevin Owens picks him up and bombs him, he goes... What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> you hear that, Kevin? You dumb, pissed off Santa now. Incredible match for me, really. Yeah, good. this is just fantastic. Like you're saying about the atmosphere, it almost felt like Neville had to remind Sammy that they're wrestling each other. Yeah. <laughs> Sammy was so absorbed, it like, hey man, we got a fight, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so super pinpoint and technical. They're so sharp, just flying around the ring. They had this cat and mouse yeah. game. They just wrestled really, really precise. And Neville as well. This is the first time we saw that he could be a heel. He's a guy that's infamous for his flying. But here in this match, he got the balance just right between his striking and his escapology and his groundwork. And he, you know, he kept people on side and on board for Sammy's story. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard a crowd not want to see the Red Arrow yeah so so badly yeah he had one last try to be a sneak and then that was when Sammy finally realised right okay laser focus halluva kick and win I loved it yeah yeah it was a very good showcase of if this is the standard that NXT is going to have moving forward then I'm all for it and considering that this is like the beginning of essentially the NXT that we know what a rise it's got better and better and better and better and how many times has the takeover been better than the main show mm-hmm. unbelievable we'll be seeing more of them as we move into the second half of the decade mm. but we're halfway there five years in five to go usually it'd be half time question time but Kyle, in the festive spirit, I think you found a game we can yeah. play. I'm pretty sure Heads Up is, world, is a worldwide game. I'm sure everyone will know what Heads Up is. For people that might not be aware of Heads Up, so Heads Up is a game that you can get on your mobile. You put the mobile on top of your head and it will say, I don't know, for example, The Grinch. So the person that's looking at that phone will have to then describe The Grinch without saying The Grinch. So you could put potentially say he hates Christmas he was once played by Jim Carrey and then you know we we get the Grinch I found a WWE version that I thought me and Duncan could play and see how we get on with this this could go terribly wrong and we could all just have a complete mind block or it could go really well so I will go first okay (laughs) he's got the ring bell as well uh, not my man with a plan. Two or five life veteran trained by Shawn Michaels. Oh God, Brian Kendrick. Yes. Uh, it's a sharpshooter, but it's not. <laughs> it's another name for the sharpshooter. If Sting did the sharpshooter, it would be. Uh, 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 I don't. I'm passing. Ah. I don't know. 
Oh, Kurt Angle came out in one of this and drenched everybody in. Oh, a, a milk van. Like a, 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 another, another name for a van. A milk truck. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's a mystery. It's a Batista, Orton, Triple oh, H. Evolution. Yeah. Hardest part of the ring. Uh, the turbicle. No. What? No. What? What? Where did they stand on tag matches? Oh, the ring apron. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Scorpion death lock. Yeah. For God's sake. Right. Three. There you go. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, more select fine man in sports and so. Rock. Um. The. At the Hall of Fame, they have an award for him that goes to... Uh, Ultimate Warrior. Yep. Um, Ric Flair's most famous um, saying. Woo! Um, Scottish Monster. Um, he used to be in um, three-man band. Drew McIntyre. <laughs> um, the manager of TNA. Dixie Carter? No, uh, T, T and A. Oh, Trish Stratus. Yeah, there you go. Uh, wrestler that you always used to come out with a bag with a snake in it. Jake Roberts. Correct. Um, what did they use to start the match? Ring bell? Yeah. Uh, Pete Dunne's won it, Tyler Bates won it. UK Championship. Correct. There you go, time's up. Oh, did well, then. How about that? Your next one was the corporation at the time. Oh, wow! <laughs> Spot on. Oh, yes. Right. Shall we have another go? Ah, yeah. Okay. That's addictive, this. See if I can do better than three. <laughs> <laughs> Goldbird's catchphrase. Uh, you're next. Mm-hmm. Booker T's finisher that's the rock bottom. Oh, uh, bookend? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, stakes and weights, baby! Whoa! Oh! They're not light, they're. Heavy. And. <laughs> My mind's got blank. I'm passing it. My oh. mind's got blank. Scott Stark. No! What faction is he in? Oh, NWO. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tournament. Uh, Bret Hart won it. Owen Hart Keep won it. Yeah. Yeah. Bing, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose. Oh, uh, the Shield. Yeah. Oh, Undisputed Era, the oldest one. Guy with a dodgy tash. Oh. Uh, I did better than three. Heavy yeah. machinery. Yeah. Yeah, Bobby Fish. I got that, but I ran out of time. Alright. Here we go. Um, Which way did he go? Um, Shame at man. Yeah, there you go. Um, We've just covered him um, in the NXT match. Sammy Zayn. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Nickname for Shawn Michaels. Heartbreak Kid. Yep. Uh, oh, I don't know that one, pass. 
Um, used to go out with Triple H, was part of DX. China. Yeah. Um, his nickname's The Dragon. Daniel Bryan? Uh, no, older wrestler. Uh, Ricky Steamboat. That's it, yeah. Um, just a, a normal version of um, uh, uh, Dean Ambrose's finisher. Double arm DDT? Mm, mm, yeah, just... DDT? Yeah, there you go. Just got that. <laughs> God. Well, I went blank then. That one, I didn't, oh, know, right. I didn't know how to explain that. Other than hmm, giving the game away. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm basically saying who's it. It's a stinger splash. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe it's like a, a whole train, but you jump or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fun. So, from those joint scores, you're clearly better than me. My mind goes blank. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a better clue giver. <laughs> All right. So we reach. 2015 now and this is where NXT really hits its stride not only have they developed a really really big following and they're knocking it out of the park with their wrestling in general but they're very good at developing women's wrestlers and they'd have a big influence on the rest of the decade as far as getting women into prominent roles in wrestling so my favourite match from 2015 is from NXT TakeOver Unstoppable. It's for NXT Women's Championship match that saw Sasha Banks defend against Becky Lynch. And for some reason, Becky Lynch looks unrecognisable. Well, all in the build-up and the package and stuff, but then when you get to the actual match itself, there's so much hair dye. Yeah. It's like I'm watching an episode yeah. of Reboot. <laughs> the video package kind of painted Sasha as a heel, but Full Sail were like really overly in her favour at the start of this I think one of the big things about Full Sail it can be a positive and a negative depending on which sort of side you sit but like they're their own people so on Raw and Smackdown we're kind of shoved down our throats these are your faces these are your heels Mm. on NXT no matter how the storyline's going you've got your heels you've got your faces if the full sales want to chant for the heels, they will chant for the heels, mm. you know, regardless of what storyline you're trying to tell, which from a wrestler point of view must be great because you know you're doing what you need to do. But I, I found that quite a lot with NXT that it doesn't matter what, you know, which side you're on, you'd get a cheer if you're doing well. Oh, this match is just magic. There's loads of great pain reversals at the start. Both women have very similar strategies targeting the arm because mm. they've both, both got very similar finishes. And so you get just an absolute technical masterclass of arm work and escapology and just technical wrestling. Some of the angles at which Sasha would stomp on Becky's arm as well. Yeah. Really grisly. There's a big This Is Wrestling chant after Becky powers out of the short arm scissors crowd love this and they buy Becky more and more as a baby face as they work through the match unreal again keeping up with the arm work all throughout the match has just really impressed me Becky especially had this phenomenal half hatch suplex but with the hammer lock still yeah. locked on and then the pump handle suplex right after 
Sasha got the ropes after Becky locked on to disarm her and got this is awesome chance. Then Becky caught Sasha's suicide dive to the outside and slammed Sasha into the steps. And the crowd were really, really heavily into Becky at that, that point. Sasha then hits a top rope divorce court arm breaker and the bank statement to get the win. One of the best technical matches of the decade. Mm. Fabulous ovation for Becky in the post-match. You'd hear the fans sing her theme song at her. And yeah. I know Bailey versus Sasha is the one that's more heavily talked about because of the storytelling aspect. Yeah. But this just blew me away from an in-ring standpoint. The fact that women's wrestling would get this spotlight put on it is just tremendous. And they go on to be two of my favourite wrestlers of the decade. And yeah. Yeah, I think that, again, we can thank NXT for the spotlight being put on the women. Because around this time, like no disrespect to the women on the main roster, but they weren't necessarily getting that big spotlight. And so for, I'm guessing, it, it was a decision made by Triple H of, you know, we've got these absolutely incredible women on NXT. Let's give them that run and let's let's go with it. And... All four of them women, Becky, Charlotte, Bailey, and Sasha, just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, like you said, this this doesn't really get talked about a lot, but I think, like you say, it's because of the storyline aspect of it. You know, the storylines always stick in a fan's mind. If a match is good, the storyline is also good as well. So I think this is just floated underneath that because it didn't really have a storyline per se you know mm. but yeah incredible match and this was kind of sort of the rocket fuel if you will to boost the the women up this is just around the time that they realized they needed to do a lot more from the ground up with their women athletes like some of the wrestlers on the main roster who floundered probably didn't have the time put into them from the training and yeah. there was a lot of principles that they were missing. NXT you had, you've got Sarah Del Rey working with the women day in, day out yeah. and she's a technical wizard and so naturally loads of the wrestlers technical competencies really really shot up as well mm. I just can't speak highly enough of them we've reached the point now where I think the quote-unquote main roster have kind of overtaken NXT in terms of progressing women's wrestling spotlight in yeah. events and stuff. Yeah, I think NXT's, again, no disrespect to the women at the moment in NXT, but I think the women's division just needs a little bit of a shot in the arm at the moment. Um, I think it's, it's the best women's division in wrestling. Yeah, and they get way more right than AEW do at the minute. Yeah, there's almost always two women's matches bare minimum on an NXT show, and that War Games match that they had, yeah, incredible, phenomenal. Like their division and their talent is absolutely spot on, and the booking around that. We just need to see a few more things like the last NXT a couple of weeks ago when Rhea won the title and they actually headlined the show. Yeah. Just a bit more of that. Yeah, yeah, And, like, they had the Prime Target special going into detail on that. Yeah, definitely. Another instance of NXT's creeping influence came in 2015 through Kyle's choice here 
from the Elimination Chamber. John Cena, the United States champion, taking on the NXT champion, Kevin Owens. Champion versus champion. Yeah. How awesome was the US Open Challenge, John Cena? Brilliant. It reminded me of Kurt Angle, you know, how Cena debuted. Who in the hell are you? I'm John Cena. John Cena, huh? Will you tell me, what is the one quality that you possess that makes you think that you can walk out here and come into the ring and face the very best in the business? Ruthless aggression. Sort of Kevin Owens being John Cena. And John Cena being Kurt Angle, it was like that sort mm. of, you know, we need this new attitude, boom, here's Kevin Owens, don't give a shit attitude. This is around the time where I was fully involved with NXT. I absolutely loved Kevin Owens and the, the Sami Zayn feud. So this, for me, was just like, oh my God, Kevin Owens, you know, like, he's on the main roster, this is incredible. For me, this match was like, this is like a first time ever, not just John Cena, Kevin Owens, but like, and it's the NXT champion, and he could well win a belt here. And for eighty percent of this match, Kevin Owens for me was way better than Cena, and I think that this was the starting point of us thinking these NXT guys, these are on point, these are the guys that we want to watch. And I think Cena put Owens over so well. All of his moves that he, he was able to put across. I mean, that sort of stuff normally in a match for Cena, he'd just get back up. But groggily, you know, th- these sort of stuff, he, he's out cold. And then at this point, Cena's like Mr. Machine. And you've got Kevin Owens who's giving him one hell of a go. And again, it's all goes back to the angle Cena. You know, when Cena first started. And he, he kind of just brings parallels to that. This is when it became clear the class and the quality of NXT, like the people they were signing. You could just slot them immediately into situations like this mm. and they deliver and immediately Kevin Owens came off as John Cena's equal. Yeah. People focus way too much on the fact that he lost the rivalry overall, like Cena win the next two. But yeah. Kevin Owens is a made man from this point. Yeah. He stayed on the roster, Intercontinental Champion, United States Champion, Universal Champion. It's just how quick he became an established name. It was just phenomenal. Yeah. This was around the point where you knew when they were losing the belt. But I think that the power that Kevin had in being on that main roster and being so popular, you kind of wanted him to be like, right, we don't want to hold him down with this NXT belt. We want to let him go. And like Triple H has said, like now we're no longer this feeder brand. We're now up there. There's now three brands. Mm -hmm. And I just, I know going off subject a little bit, I just hope that we get more people doing what Finn's done and not seeing NXT as a backward step and thinking, I like what they're doing over there. Yeah. 
I want to go over there. And we've got people like Champa who's saying he doesn't want to go anywhere else. He wants to stay in NXT. Mm. If he did get called up, he probably would go. But he knows that his his body is fine on the NXT schedule. Mm. So it'd be good to see you know where that goes. But yeah, this beginning of NXT was was huge. My only annoyance at this match was how very early Owens hit his finisher and Cena kicked out. But it did mean that he had to press on and really open up his playbook with some different stuff. Amazing marrow salt that he'd do. He nicked John Cena's attitude adjustment. Yeah. And then it, like even beforehand, he'd be able to cut Cena off at every path. This was, we talked about John Cena hitting a pretty good spell of form in 2013, but here he just turned the dial up to 11. Yeah. Just became, as Matthew from Botchamania put it, PWG Cena. Yeah. Just pulling anything out of his ass, Like, <laughs> doing a tornado DDT. Really good match. Yeah, I agree. That spot, incidentally, was intended for Mr. Sami Zayn. So he had to keep busy later on in 2016... My choice of match for 2016 from NXT TakeOver Dallas, Sami Zayn taking on Shinsuke Nakamura. Mm. And what a debut that was. Incredible. You could purely go off Shinsuke's entrance and already you've got a fantastic showcase of his charisma. Yeah. I don't know, I miss this kind of energy from NXT audiences as well. Everything was such a big deal Everyday pieces of Shinsuke's offense here were treated with reverence and awe. Although both these guys' chants can get in the bin. Yeah. Sammy brought a defiant attitude to fight off Shinsuke's charms here. Urged him to bring it, just like Shinsuke does. Kicks out at one from a couple of moves, does the face washing. But his facials were selling shock really well in answer to Shinsuke's offense. Like, oh. What did what what have I just been through? You know, it was funny as well. They were trading strikes, and normally you get the boo, yay, boo, yay, and here it was just yay, yeah, it's just getting louder yay! and louder, yay. Yeah. I loved it. Probably one of my favorite debuts of the decade. The kick out of midair to counter the leaping DDT through the ropes. Yeah, just oh my god, just phenomenal. Shinsuke finishes it with the jumping bomber yate of the back and then the Kinshasa. Just a perfect example of having the crowd in the palm of your hand and then leading them on a journey. And it just perfectly married wonderful charisma and storytelling and violence and athleticism. Yeah, 100%. I remember this match due to it being the first time I'd ever seen Shinsuke wrestle. I'd heard a lot about him from yourself, and so I was excited to to finally see him. And, yeah, I wasn't disappointed. Very hard-hitting, very off-the-cuff style, which is great, and I think it was something that kind of NXT needed at the time, you know, something different, something out there. And, yeah, they they both complemented each other so well, and a great finish, you know, that... We always talk about like the run up to the end and um, 
you've always got yourself a, a good match if the, those last five minutes are just non-stop and they were, it was very good. The tag team division in NXT would also really rise up in prominence. Kyle, your choice for 2016 reflects that. It's from TakeOver Toronto in a two out of three falls match for the NXT Tag Team Championships. The Revival defended against DIY. This was like one of those classic last chance for the babyfaces situations. What made this match stand out for you? How relentless it was. And for me, this was around the time where I was more excited for watching an NXT takeover than I was the main show just because we'd been having all these matches that were just throwing them out the park and you were like, oh wow, you know, I, I want to watch this again, I want to watch this again. I really liked the sort of the tag team stable at the time in that you had DIY, you had the revival, there was American Alpha. You felt at that time that they could have just been on the main roster. You could have easily swapped out tag teams on the main roster for these guys. Mm. And so the two out of three that kind of stood out for me was the sort of do or die fall count. Normally, in the match, you would give away a fall count of, oh, it's just the one because we can fight back to get the two. But even the first fall count, you kind of felt of, I don't want to give away the first fall. You know, the pact that these two teams had, and like you said, you know, this was the last babyface chance. We got the moves outside of the ring onto the concrete floor. We got some of what I would say is our, going back to the original tag teams of the Revival, you know, they're they're probably the most old school tag team of the modern era, if Mm. you will. You know, the way that they conduct themselves, Mm. you know, just very much they're there to brawl, but they know the rules. So that's what stood out for me. And it was just sat there watching this match and two out of three falls matches last a long time. There was no point watching that match where I was like, Jesus, how long have we got left? It was just sat there thinking, holy shit, you know, these guys are just going all out for this match. That's why it stands out for me. and Just a hell of a match. Like most revival matches for me, it's just so rich in detail. Like their ring positioning and ring awareness is just excellent. The yeah. way they cut off tags and things like that. The first fall I thought was pretty good because it was... Johnny just getting into his groove of his normal offence yeah. and then they block his slingshot spear and throw him into the shatter machine. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. You need to get serious here. And then you'd feel DIY get agonisingly closer and closer to that second fall and then they get there with the super kick and knee sandwich. Yeah. And then what's even more agonising is, okay, well, they have to do that all over again now because yeah. they've only evened it up. There's a great bit of redemption for Johnny here, refusing to submit to the thing that made them lose at Brooklyn, the previous takeover. Dash Wilder, I think, has the best chop block in wrestling. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's both devastating and a massive heat magnet. And then, because of the finish, there's a nice little moment with the simultaneous submissions yeah. in both a revival or tap out and they have the kind of like Thelma and Louise moment of like don't tap don't tap I gotta tap okay I'm tapping too Just really rewarding work here I 
miss this Gargano and Champa. There's more of a purity there with him now. I think some of the storyline direction that went after that overcomplicated things yeah. a little bit too much. Yeah. I see where you're coming with that. Speaking of purity, one of the best pure in-ring matches I've seen all decade and one that's I think we were both immensely proud to see. We're in agreement on the next two matches of the of the years here, but going into 2017, our favourite match for the NXT UK Championship at NXT TakeOver Chicago, Tyler Bate defending against Pete Dunne. We covered this on our What WWE UK Did Next episode. I might splice a little bit of that in here. Hell of a match. Stick a fork in me. I mean, that match got so much praise from top, top wrestlers. Just showcased what we're about. It was incredible. You talk about star-making performances. This was a classic, classic matchup. People are going to be talking about this for years. Yeah. So many scintillate encounters, great technical skill, great build of drama, and the crowd were brilliant responding to this stuff. Oh my God, they had them eating out of the palm of their hands. This is probably the most emotional I've been for someone's success in wrestling. Mm. Usually, the thing that draws prominent emotion for me in wrestling is... Oh, someone's retired or someone's injured, like Undertaker's retiring or Shibata's injured and may never wrestle again and things like that. But this is just two guys going out there, absolutely killing it, Mm. making a name for themselves, making a name for our style of wrestling and our wrestling scene and hitting a home run. I honestly don't know what else to say about that match because, yeah, just go and watch it. If you've not seen it, watch it. It's an absolute must-see. And then tweet us once you've watched it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, go check that out if you want any more detail into that. Also, go check out our friends at Last Match Standing Podcast, who are running through the 100 greatest matches in wrestling and are trying to rank them all in order. They did an episode dedicated to this match. And the two out of three falls DIY revival match that we just covered as well. Yeah, I did go back and rewatch this again, and the crowd reaction to everything they were doing just—I felt really proud. And I know that's the thing, isn't it? Because these are what we could class as our guys. You know that they're getting over with the US fans. Mm-hmm. It's just like you say; it's a proud moment of. These guys are doing it. They're doing it. They're doing it. Hell, what hell of a match. Another absolute classic that we both agreed on from last year, 2018, from the Evolution pay-per-view. It was the last woman standing match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Becky Lynch defending against Charlotte Flair. Going back and watching this, I really loved the presentation of the Evolution pay-per-view. Yeah. It felt noticeably different and it felt slightly more sporting. Like, I'd love them to do something like that for, like, Night of Champions or something like that. Yeah. With the whole red carpet deal, it's a specific celebration of the champions, like, we had here, this celebration of women's wrestling. Yeah, that'd be cool. quite like that idea. There's one thing that I'd, I've always thought of Night of Champions, is that the champion comes out a different way to the challenger. Say, on the right-hand side, you had, like, a, an elevator pod. 
and like the champion came out in that pod. <laughs> Single man, <laughs> reveal yourself. <laughs> but like, I don't know, some sort of grand entrance because they're the champion, and then the challenger just gets the usual down the ramp. Mm. I don't know, just it'd be quite cool. Make a show of it. Yeah. yeah. What felt good about this at the time, especially, so Cole mentions that their one-on-one record is five wins each and one draw. So this really felt like a proper culmination. Yeah. They'd had some really screwy stuff in the previous weeks and now they're just going to go at it and beat the shit out of each other. They were still determined to try and make Becky the heel of this match and nah. It's not going to happen. No, Nobody this is like the that. beginning of the man, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Oh, we have the you know, typical WWE weapons now. Kendo sticks yeah. and chairs. Lots of chairs. Yes, yeah. <laughs> got the lots ECW of chairs. chairs. <laughs> they were beating each other up on the floor. Exploder on the floor by Charlotte. They tried to make Becky flee the match. Yeah. And they thankfully make up for it because Charlotte absolutely levers her with chops. Yeah. And really put her all into this match. Bunch of suplexes onto the chairs. Charlotte moonsaults Becky onto a table. It doesn't break. And so she does a swanton bomb to actually break it. Yeah. thought that was cool. Then we get a ladder brought into play. Charlotte absolutely wallops Becky's knee with it. Which is a big, long-standing thing for Becky's future arc, this knee injury. Yeah. Um, we even get the figure eight around the ladder. Super cool. Then get the amazing leg drop off the ladder through the German table by Becky. And I thought that was a finish. But Charlotte gets up and she's like, Is that all you got? <laughs> Fucking hell, she's like a Terminator. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so Becky tries to bury her in a bunch of rubble and wreckage. Yeah. And Charlotte still gets up. Um, Flaminator. <laughs> I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. Woo! <laughs> Lots of big kendo shots and a spear on the floor. But then Becky recovers before Charlotte could go for the moonsault outside and power bombs her through the table yeah. to win. It's just a great tooth and nail fight. The highlight of the rivalry, yeah, for me, they just escalated all of the action and violence just right. This was just highlighting that yeah, it's it's women's wrestling time, and naturally we got them headlining WrestleMania the next year. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that this was one of those perfect moments that you could say the women can compete at a very high level in very high tempo matches and can be successful with it. It also shows that they're not afraid of doing a high-risk stuff. There was a lot of high-risk stuff in this match, and they pulled it off great. Something else that got pulled off really to perfection, just an out-of-nowhere storyline, was Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan's story from this year. Yeah. And that's my favourite match of 2019. It's Daniel Bryan against Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania 35. Go back and listen to our WrestleMania 35 episode for more on that, but I probably will include a few clips of us reacting to this match because it's just a wonderful storyline combination. Yeah, very good. 
It was good. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. I really wanted Kofi to win that, and the chemistry between the two, the move sets that they, they were doing, just put the match along, and it it flew by the match. Mm-hmm. So great result, great yeah, match. Like, second longest of the night. Really didn't feel that way. No, no, not at all. So I, again, like I really, really enjoyable. I do enjoy Daniel Bryan's new character. But it's just him, isn't it, really? It's just like a, a, an exaggerated version of him. He's taken all the things that makes Daniel Bryan Daniel Bryan and sort of just t- dialed him up to 11 and, and sort of made him into this heel character. But then you look back at the whole 11 years since Kofi last had his, a title opportunity and I mean, my favourite part of it was sort of after the match when he gets his kids out and when they, they rest the guys in the New Day sort of celebrating with him and you see the locker room celebrating as well and that sort of... I thought it played into the whole storyline really, really well. Yeah. When they do it right, do we do it? They do do it really, really well in terms of storyline, and I did enjoy that. Just seeing the three of them because that you sort of take them for granted. I think I know a couple of years ago you sort of getting a bit worn out on the new day and they're sort of a bit boring, but yeah. I definitely think it's one of those things that that elevated that match storyline wise and because the crowd was so into it as well mm, yeah. that always elevates a match if the crowd are pumped for it and it was a really really good match yeah. really, really enjoyed it no. this was just masterful what more could you ask for for a championship match both men wrestled to their strengths both men had plans to deal with their opponent's strengths the seconds at ringside disrupted each other more than they disrupted the match they traded counters on top of counters on top of counters when they convinced you Kofi had the upper hand, Brian had an answer. And then when they convinced you Brian would close things off, they showed you that Kofi had the spirit to carry on. The hero won, clean as can be. History was made, and you felt that history through all of the players involved. It wasn't getting beaten over your head by the commentary team or by authority figures. This is what makes wrestling amazing. End of podcast. (laughs) I enjoyed that. And again, going back to earlier on in the podcast when we were talking about how things could change, Ali got injured, Kofi comes in, ends up winning the belt at Mania. Mm. It's like, if you get the ball, you run with it. Kofi did, and, you know, it's absolutely fantastic achievement, fantastic match. The crowd was so on side with Kofi, mm. just wanting him to win. So many near misses, so many two and a three quarter counts. My only thing with the Kofi run is I was really disappointed with the way that he lost it. Thought Absolutely. the whole thing with Brock was just not great. No, and it kind of rarely gets brought up as well. Like Kofi just like kind of carried on. And it was only like hints at it in the rivalry with a revival, but yeah, I thought it was total shit because Kofi was had really good booking as a champion to go out on such a whimper. Yeah, my match of twenty nineteen. Go on. <laughs> Triple H and Batiste. No, I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> I'm joking. No, it, it would be Brian and Kofi. That was the only one that. I could really think of because you know we've both said that this year really outstanding match wise we've not had a lot to choose from I know and just in general I've never seen so much stop start stuff yeah like so many storylines just get dropped out of nowhere and 
they just threw all kinds of stuff at the and wall the, and then abandoned it. Yeah, and this year, more than any, I've kind of felt like we've just been rematch central. How many times have we seen Baron Corbin wrestle <sighs> Roman Reigns? How many times have we seen the Revival wrestle the New Day? This sort of stuff should last a month to a pay-per-view, then you move on to wherever else you want to go. If it's a bigger storyline, maybe it lasts two pay-per-views, but Roman Reigns and Baron Corbin have been fighting for about three years now. Baron Corbin is just poison. Come on, Corbs. <laughs> Let me rewind to this time last year. All these bullshit things where Baron and his minions beat up people and he wins. Yeah. Was cited as the reason for the ratings being in the shitter. And the in storyline said, you're fired Baron Corbin, fuck off. And now they're still booking that in that same way. Stupid. He, oh my god, he just, oh fuck off. I mean, like, he's King Corbin now. King, yeah. <laughs> he's king of ruining people's pushes. <laughs> yeah. He ruined Braun. He ruined Seth. Nobody was having a go at Seth until that rivalry came around. Yeah. He's ruined Shorty G. And now he's ruining Roman again. He's. Ugh. He ruins careers. Triple H doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, I just I think that that's something they need to look at for next year or the next mm. decade. Yes, <laughs> um, they need to. Yeah, they need to stop with these rivalries that are just going on. And well, they're not even rivalries. I don't know. If we reach twenty twenty nine and Baron Corbin is still feuding with the top baby faces on the roster, and WWE are only performing in front of thirty people in front of a pub or something because of it, I know. we're going to be a bit mad. Well, I've got one final question for you. Go on. Who is your future star to watch out for in the WWE? Rhea Ripley. You saw how how quickly they were able to get this machine behind her in, in this War Games push. I thought it was just wonderfully done. I think she's got so many of the tools that they need. She's got that right balance of character work and the work rate. I think that, you know she can get over both as a character and both as an in-ring performer. Yeah. And she mixed it up with a whole bunch of veterans over the Survivor Series storyline and didn't look out of place at all. I think she's got a big future ahead of her. Yeah. So this again just highlights how big we feel of NXT. Mm. So mine's Adam Cole. Mm-hmm. I just feel that he's, he's gold. The fans latch onto everything he says. He doesn't even have to say his trademark anymore. The fans say it for him. You know, once he's done with NXT and he moves to the main roster, well, I mean, he could stay in NXT for, you know, for him to move to the main roster, he, he could easily be a world champion. Mm-hmm. 100%. He's just, got the charisma, he's, you know. Sure. There's just two things I want him to stop. One, I never want to see him wrestle Johnny Gargano ever again. <laughs> rematch, rematch, rematch. Rematch, rematch, rematch. rematch and, uh, and two, stop hitting that Panama Sunrise. I fucking what? hate that move. <laughs> he leaps off the ropes to land on his feet and then do a leap again. It's, it makes no sense. You cut off your whole momentum by landing on your feet. If you, like, 
spun around on the guy's shoulders or something, fine. But no, you, you leap into landing on your feet and then you have to jump again all over again. It's just a waste of time. So, other than those two points, you're happy with that? Pick? Other than those okay. two points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's a very adaptable wrestler. I'm sure we can work that, that out. I hope sure. so. I do feel that Gagano would potentially stay on NXT with Champa. Mm-hmm. So that's one of them out of the way. The other, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a wrap on the 2010s then. Oh, remember, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast, follow us on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast, and give us a like on Facebook. To keep a track of when we've got episodes coming up and whenever we've got grievances with wrestling and shit (laughs) follow us on soundcloud go to soundcloud.com forward slash tnw podcast where you'll find a playlist of all of our episodes so far as well as my guest appearances on the raw is nitro podcast just finally wrapped up our tna versus wwe Monday Night War from 2010 and we did a big award show to celebrate reaching the end of that. We're immensely proud of that. My computer had to survive a Trojan attack to get that done. So definitely go and check that out. Me and Lee put a lot of work into that. Give us a subscribe and a five-star rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or give us a listen on Stitcher Radio or Spotify. I don't know what we're going to do in the future. We've got the Rumble coming up. We definitely Yeah, we always do the Rumble. have to check that out sometime. Yeah. We might have to get stuck into something in the long term that I've been looking forward to is kicking off. We've got new digs for the podcast now, so we'll try and make sure that we're back to our frequent ways. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Happy New Year. All the best for 2020. It's a goodbye from Kyle. And goodbye. It's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road.